white hot magazine of contemporary art. Hello, Noah. This is Brian Leo speaking. Um, I believe that we will just have a, a conversation, and um, if I ask a question, or if they ask a question, if we ask each other questions, and there's something that um, we want to, if if it doesn't go, if it doesn't flow, then we'll just like leave like a five second space between, so you can edit. All right, so we'll do that right now. All right, hello everybody. This is Brian Leo, and I'm an artist in New York City. I am founder and curator at Brian Leo Projects, uh, located on 21st Street in Chelsea, Manhattan, New York City. Um, I I opened this space, or I, I built this space out during the lockdown uh, 2020, so it was established then, and I wanted to to have a, a, a space to feature artists that I know and emerging artists and underrepresented artists to uh, have opportunities to, to show. Some of them have shown for the first time in New York City or have had their first solo shows here. And, uh, you know, especially during the time of the lockdown, I wanted to still stay connected with people. And, um, you know, the space is run by appointment only. So it, you know, that plus, you know, social media uh, posts and representation, uh, social media posts um, were the focus of the space um, or have been the focus of the space. So I'm sitting here today with two artists who are uh, featured in the latest show. It's a two person show and I'm with Rick Prohl and Sobel Uribe. So, would you guys like to introduce yourselves, Rick? Hi, I'm Rick <clears throat> Prohl. I grew up in New York and uh, seen a lot of changes. And it's fun doing this show. I'm glad that Brian asked me to do it. With, so uh, bad. The worst with names. So <laughs> bad. I have to say it like I don't know how many times. Don't take it personal. So bad. And what, what's the last name again? Uri Uribe. Uribe. And it's, yeah. um, you're from where? Um, or your nationality? Uh, nationality is Mexican and Dominican. Huh? Yeah. I'm Spanish. I was born and raised, born and raised in New York City. Huh? Yeah. So that's that's. So you're like half, even less than half my age. Yeah. <laughs> right. Those, these are a lot of. It's like the old man and the young. These are a lot of things that I consider talking about, and uh, I recently visited the Whitney Museum where I saw the Tribes Gallery exhibit on the sixth floor. That was a gallery that gave me my first solo show in 2003 um, on East 3rd Street between C and D. So I, I saw the last day of the show and I fortunately was able to see a video of Steve Cannon, the founder of Tribes Gallery, and the late Steve Cannon. And I happened to record uh, a shot of the video and when I looked at the video subtitles like from my iPhone, um, I, I, he had a great quote. Somebody asked him like advice that he would give to young artists and his quote paraphrased was something in the lines of, uh, it doesn't matter what generation you're from, um, just find like-minded people and um, he said that he said, quote, the password is get it done, um, make it happen. Those are things, you know, just 
and and that was it. So um, so yeah, there's um, three generations of painters in this room right now. Uh, I'm from Generation X. Rick Prohl is from uh, Baby Boomer Generation, yeah. and Sobel is from Generation Z. Is so, that what it's called? Yeah, I it's even know Generation Z falls between the Millennials and mm. the Alpha Generation. Mm. Yeah. So Z people born in like the mid nineties and late nineties. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so yeah, we have um, um, representation of generations in the room and uh, commonalities between Sobel and Rick. Uh, they both were born and raised in New York City, and they both. Um, well, Rick graduated from Cooper Union, and um, Sobel is currently in Cooper Union, right? Yeah. Oh. I don't know. That's great. Yeah. So, um, well, do you have a question for Rick about uh, Cooper Union at all? I guess, like, how was, like, the atmosphere there? Like, wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, was there, I went there 76 to 80, so that was, like, familiar freaking years ago. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, it changed my life, basically. Really? Wow. Yeah, because um, I came from music and art high school, and then I had a year in between Cooper and... And, uh, music and art, and I went to the New York Studio School. And once I got into Cooper, it was like graduating to the top place in a way. It's like because the New York Studio School was nice and funky, but it had none of the quality of what Cooper had, you know, which exposed me to many contemporary artists and all, all the fellow students or the people I really mostly learned from. But you know, it's just it was because looking back at it, you know. I, I knew it was great when it was happening, even, but to look back on it, like I realized how it was uh, you know, really something. And it, what's interesting, you know, I graduated in 1980, and everything changed right after that. Like yeah, whole, yeah. You know, the whole return to painting thing, this new spirit in painting, and the graffiti thing kind of happened. And, yeah. Mm. And it all exploded, like kaboom. And I didn't, I didn't expect it necessarily. I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen, but it. Within two years, it was like, yeah, you know, Jean Michel happened. Everybody's village happened. You know, Keith Haring and and uh, Schnabel, and that was momentous. I don't know what it's like now. I have no. I see a lot of the new work. You know, that's around, and it's it's good. You know, it's a lot of good stuff. But that was crazy time. I mean, everybody everybody that lived through it knows it. You know, remember. There's a lot of camaraderie between some of the. People that are still here, a lot, of, a lot of people have passed away. So how do you like it, the Cooper? I, I guess like I don't know, like um, <clears throat> I, I kind of like the atmosphere at Cooper. I mean, I remember visiting the building. Like it's like they had like all these like little like like tiny like details that you would like find in the building. You know, like and like they had like these like weird like rooms, like secret secret rooms or like. Like tiny windows, like you know, like these. Yeah. Uh, you like the studios for the students. Yeah, like yeah. the studio, like studio space was really interesting. Like I kind of liked making artwork in um, in, like the studio space. It was like really interesting getting like a lot of like, like um, like critiques from, from from other students and like, like it was like, a good environment because you feel like a lot of people are trying to make good work and like you're also trying to make good work. So it's like it works like, with that dynamic. But I'd love to go by and check it out. I haven't been there in a long time. 
regarding the the generation reference that we made with uh, Generation Z and the baby boomer generation um, and the subject matter of the artworks in the show. So there's eight total artworks in the show, four from Rick Prohl and four from Sobel Uribe. And Sobel, Sobel was born you know, as a dig digital native. Mm. And I know that there's elements of that incorporated in your pieces. And Rick was born in, at a, in a time where it's primarily like magazines and TV and radio and um, books. Or I mean, like yeah, yeah. So no, there was no yeah. Um, so the imagery that Sobel has in his work, featured in his work, incorporates um, games, like mm -hmm. online games. You were saying, could mm -hmm. you speak a little bit about that? And Rick, maybe you can consider the imagery from uh, I imagine from things that you may have witnessed or were inspired by from the 80s East Village uh, environment, right? So, um, so, so Belle, if you wanna... Uh, I guess, like, I don't know, like, I kind of, like, like the, like, just like the video games I play are, like, really, like, like, just, like, they just have, like, they're, like, real RPG role-playing games, and, like, they, like, have, like, you, like, do you have, do you have, do you have like, a they have like a person that's like supposed to be you and you're going around like talking to people and like going to class and everything and like I just found it like really like interesting how like not accurate but like how like some like how some things were like really similar to like how I lived like my life as like a just like a student going to high school or like or even like like other games like just like living like my life and it's like interesting how like you know like a lot of people are like starting to like notice like how similar or like how how like inventive like video games are and like computer games and like could i point out that one piece of the <clears throat> three female figures um what is that particularly from i mean it looks sort of I mean, like that school, one, school, school figures. Yeah, I mean, I guess that one's like inspired by like the Japanese schoolgirl and like how like the Japanese schoolgirl uh, outfit was adopted by Japan from the U.S. Um, I guess like I think it started like I'm not sure what year like they had like that kind of sailor uniform, but like Japanese yeah, like, schools adopted it and like a lot of like cultural things happened like just like. Uh, school girl school girl gangs and like also like a lot of like um, high school like just like high school like teen prostitution and like a lot of like just like heavy handed like just like a lot of like heavy like material and like dark material that like I feel is associated with that like just like just um, that like um, particular like like symbol like just like red like tie and like a white shirt and like I think it just speaks a lot of like issues happening and like not just Japan but also the world and like yeah okay um you mentioned the dark content <clears throat> of the of the work and that's something that also uh struck me as an element that uh complements uh your work and Rick's work, uh, this uh, element of the macabre, and <clears throat> it exists, and um, Rick's paintings have uh, continued 
for decades with uh, imagery um, that can be considered to some as, as, as dark. So Rick, um, the figures that are included in the show uh, are re repeated image uh, of a, of a um, to me it's a male figure on a mattress and the reason why I, I thought this, this uh, particular image of this figure worked really well with, uh, with the show is because in one of Sobel's pieces yeah. There's actually a, a figure who has this contorted pose, yeah, yeah. and I I felt that uh, there was something um, yeah. something uh, similar. So, um, but Rick, if you would care to uh, elaborate on your yeah, your pieces, um, well, it's very metaphoric. It, it's I I don't think of them very literally in some sense. Like it's not. There's no real story per se going on, like a narrative that you can kind of follow from one image to the other, except that it's a bit obsessive, you know, and kind of, kind of like, um, it has a mind, a mind of its own kind of, or what's it, how to, how to put it, and is it, you know, I follow it kind of more than me dictating. Some kind of course. autonomy? I don't know, and it's very hard to uh, nail it down because it's like when you repeat something, you know, that obviously takes on a lot more weight than if you just did it one time, maybe, like as if, uh, you know, it's not repeated, but to, to do something <clears throat> many times, it, it, it's, mm -hmm. it kind of lends itself to something where um, each piece is relating to each other, you know, in, a, in that way, you know. I mean, I say Rothko does a bunch of different variations of a floating rectangle, you know. That, again, too, is the same. It's a kind of repeated language that you have to rely on, almost, to just feel like, well, I'm not going to veer from this, or I'm not going to... I could, you know, why, why don't I do something else? Why don't I make cars on the... You know, you can do that. But I come back to this guy, you know. It's as if it's a constant re-examining it. And yeah. Again, it has a life of its own a little bit. It, it's like, and I'm thinking of the color, mostly in a way, the composition and a lot of formal issues. I'm not. To me, yes, uh, formal issues. Uh, to me, it, it has a reference to a uh, painterly pop kind of reference of um, mass production of an image, and um, and the speaking of pop, I mean that's that's where Rick and I met. Uh, we met through. Ronnie Cutrone, uh, who had curated a show of our works in Peekskill, New York at Casola Gallery. And that was back in like 2004. I think. Was that the one Richard Butler? Mask? It was, it was a safe space, but it was... Um, so the, the artists that were in that show were John Matos, Crash, Izo, Whipler, um, Costa Saramentis, right, right. Ronnie Cutrone, <clears throat> Rick Prohl, and, and myself, Brian Leo. And so it's been it's been a while since I've known you, and I'm you know very happy to uh, be featured your work for the oh, first you. time in the space. I I thankfully own a few of your pieces, and uh, and when Sobel and I were discussing the show, I I felt that um, your work would be a, a perfect match mm -hmm. for the season that we're in as well. <laughs> <laughs> and um, well, you know the other 
little bit of part of it. I don't think of them that way because it's not that it's normal to me, but I, I don't think of them as particularly particularly violent or scary. It's, it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. but I could certainly, yeah, it's it's not real over the couch work sometimes, or like it's either sitting well in a corporate setting per se. There's nothing wrong with that, but if somebody's worked up, you know, like Frank Stella or somebody, those got cats that they look good in a lobby. But this is a kind of more violent figure to work, I guess, if you want to, something like that. Right. There's a certain violence in it. I mean, these are tame, actually, but there have been some that are much more, much harsher, I guess. As far as uh, commercialism, um, I think I encountered something online today of the Basquiat estate, um, his family members marketing um, Basquiat imagery in um, dog, dog hoodies and uh, I don't know if there were mugs and other, other things, various things. And we know that maybe like, uh, was it five, five to ten years ago, Uniqlo had Basquiat imagery or, you know, incorporated yeah. in their... Their, sh their shirts and clothing. Um, how do you guys feel about using your imagery in products that uh, that can be marketed to the mass? I mean, like, <clears throat> I don't know. I've always, like, because, like, I don't know, like, because I've always liked, like, toys. Like, when I was, like, a kid, I, I was, like, Transformers or, like, Power Rangers or, like, things like that, like, just like action figures or like toys, um, so I don't know. It, it it would be interesting for me to like, like maybe like have the like have these characters that I like paint or draw like have them be in like three D form and like, you know, I make toys out of them. Like I think it would be it would be like it would look interesting just the sculptural aspect of like just like an invented like like figure that's like has associations to like real life like um like like toy brands and like uh like video game characters and stuff and like i don't know like it'd be interesting to sell those like just like my own characters like my own cartoons just sell them as toys like that would be like that would be pretty cool I mean, one way of looking at it, in a way, is like the acceptance of the kind of kitchification, is that a word? Yeah. You know, it's as if, like, some artists start with that. I mean, Jeff Koons uses it, you know, Schnabel did too, kit, kitsch. Mm -hmm. But now it's as if, well, you know, it's just another way of marketing. I mean, didn't they make a blow-up monk screaming figure? Like, you can blow up, a, it's like a... It's a Sounds familiar. <laughs> Like, you could take anything kind oh, yeah, of yeah. and do that with it. And, you know, cause, isn't he kind of like that? Isn't cause all mm -hmm. about, you know, they're like toys to begin with. They're, they're kind of kitschy. And there's a big audience for that stuff. I mean, but, you know, I guess some people are, they would never want their work kind of used that way. But Well, you, what would you, you think from, I mean? from your experience and interactions with, uh, Jean-Michel, so now, What's that? Uh, what, oh, do you think, you, how, what do you think he would think? I don't know, maybe oh, it's gee, purely I mean, speculative. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say, because, yeah. um, it's kind of like, uh, I don't think he, you know, he'd see it as a, a, a you know, like a, a natural result of being famous, I guess, or whatever, you know, didn't Warhol have a lot of 
the neat things, things that were so more than kitschy in terms of, not more than kitschy, I mean, but uh, just the category of trying to think. Like, even know. then it wasn't so prevalent, I guess, about merchandising stuff that way. I mean, mm. you could buy Warhol wigs, I don't know, you know mm. for something. For, like, right. I wonder, I wonder some of it lends itself to it. And, and like I said, there's some art, artists, it kind of starts there. It's almost like as if it's already like... It could be also a, just a product of the, the time, just the fact that uh, there are countries that can now mass produce for very little um, yeah. investment. and If I if it disseminates my work, I, I really don't mind. I mean, mm-hmm. in a sense, you know what I mean? Like... Is that the right word, disseminates? Or, or yeah, just... <coughs> promotes it yeah. or whatever. Let's take like a five-second like pause. Yeah. Um, one, two, three, four. So, like, what, uh, what, I don't know, I'm kind of out of topics. What should we talk about? <laughs> well, all right, so we're going to start back up. Five, four, three, two, one. Do you guys, Sobel or Rick, have uh, any, any questions about uh, me or the space or, I mean, um, do you, do you, yeah, I guess like a, do you have ambitions to, to, do more like with it or get more bashing or get like more shows with the project space. So it's a hundred square foot room that yeah. I put together from scrap material during the lockdown, as I mentioned, and uh, partially inspired by um, my wife who had run Amy Lee projects on Mott Street and Megumi Ogita Gallery, which I uh, had shown at consecutively for many years in Tokyo. It's a small space with good lighting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I used to go out to Tokyo and just do two-week shows, and um, most of the shows here are average around two weeks. Yeah. And So there's no official opening or anything? It's yeah, just, there's, there's like no home. opening parties, and there's no... It's all, it's all by appointment, yeah. and, um, and just trying to do the best we can so with social media, particularly right. Instagram. Word of mouth, like, right? People, yeah. word of mouth. I, I mean, word of mouth, but social media yeah, as a component to yeah. that. And it was, that was particularly what I felt in 2020 during the lockdown of not being able to visit places in person and to everyone just, you know, in droves went to Instagram to try to promote their artwork and sell their artwork. And yeah. it's, I find it to be, I mean, it, it's, it was, it was a, it was a necessary component during the pandemic and uh, regarding a topic that I'm not sure you would like to delve into, but um, NFTs, uh, I mean, I have a few, I know Rick has some, um, yeah. Sobel, do you uh, have, I mean, from you? I think I yeah. might have like one or two, I don't know. What, uh, in the future, What? how do you feel about uh, pursuing that avenue? Um, I don't know, it kind of depends, like, I mean, I'm not too excited about it, but, um, I could see myself doing something like, I guess, like some, like, digitized, like, art piece or something, but, I mean, I don't know, I'm not, like, against it or anything. I don't even know if I fully understand, like, what NFT, you know, it's, mm. it's a... But you have. Uh, they, they did it, these. In South Korea? Yeah. 
So um, yeah, I've seen some of those pieces and um, they look great. So I mean, that's that's part of the phenomenon that we're in. Um, the, you know, this digital realm of uh, commodifying no. yeah, digital <clears throat> represented artworks and um, for the first time in history being able to do that. Um, it's, I, I, I mean, how did you guys feel like during the pandemic when there was like a, you know, during the, the craze, like it was like 2021 when like NFTs were blowing up and you, you, there were so many, you know, it was, yeah. it, it was momentous and, and now it's kind of like settled down and I feel in the last year that there has been kind of a return to like physical, tangible mm. pieces, like for some reason, because, you know, there was a moment maybe like so in the winter the, time of 2022 yeah. where I was going but, but doing... Was, are you saying like work? is that the time to have capitalized on it or now it's kind of already I I know I don't I think it was yeah. people that had been you know um, that were literate in uh, the mm. digital world and that had pieces that had connections and had uh, invested you know their time and art into yeah. I think there were people that had been uh, did there have there there were digital artists that um, that were um, prominent on Twitter and and in in groups that yeah. could you know really take advantage of it. So, um, and then other people thinking that they could just produce something and and have it yeah have it blow up. So um, so I think uh, yeah maybe the dust is settled and then we'll see what comes up from that and um, it's. Not my expertise, but um, there are, you know, we, we know some artists who are in that, that world, oh, yeah. right? Um, so... Let's see what happens, I guess, you know. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a valid topic and something that we might not <coughs> fully comprehend, like, right, right now, but... Yeah. I guess um, even with like Kenny Shafter's tattoo he had recently posted on uh, Instagram, it's it's he got a tattoo of something called post NFT like on his arm. So yeah, NFTism actually I think he coined the term and then now it's like post. I think it says post NFTism. So you have a tattoo of it. He's got a tattoo of that. Well, I I haven't seen, I just saw it on Instagram posts and things <laughs> like that. So all right, so let's take another. We have, what, four minutes? Well, we can go like five, ten. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he might edit things out, right? Well, so we, we gotta say something controversial so we get attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's oh, see. Wow. Well, I mean, like we could talk about woke culture, but I don't know if that's which one. Woke oh, culture? No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want, but what about more about the eighties or? Yeah. I mean, you. Okay. So all right, let's start maybe with like Sobel growing up in New York and you growing up in New York, right? So all right, um, we'll do five, four, three, two, ready? So five, four, three, two, one. All right, so Sobel grew up in New York City, Lower East Side. Uh, I was I was born in the Bronx, um, but I, I moved to the Lower East Side when I was um, in second grade. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you you were <coughs> you experienced uh, life in New York City in the late nineties and two thousands, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean your your uh, formative years and uh, Rick. Um, 
Rick was born and raised in which part of New York? Well, we lived on 15th Street and like across the street from Stuyvesant Park. So that's between 4th and 3rd, I think, Avenue. Mm -hmm. Then when I was like 5, we moved to 6th Avenue and 11th Street. <clears throat> now I live like a block away from where I grew up on 7th and 11th. Mm -hmm. So I've seen it, you know. Amazing right. changes. The 60s were remarkable in New York. Well, uh, 70s, everything changed, and then the 80s, boom, happened. But the 70s and throughout that period was such a mess, the city. Like dangerous, and you know, but it was really great. It was one of the best times, also, just before the 80s. was was an incredibly amazing time because it, it uh, things were also very affordable. And so, due to that affordability, uh, yeah, of course, as we know, artists can start to do things. Right. The time isn't all spent, you know, trying to make money just to live. So you, you, you can. You've witnessed all of the gentrification. Oh yeah. Decades. What happened in the East Village? I mean, that that was unbelievable. You should have seen it coming, you know. But it, when it happened, it was still kind of shocking how it shifted so quickly. To we helped gentrify the neighborhood and then that was it you know they got too expensive in a way or whatever and the village ended do you think and then AIDS happened and with so many things wow uh, Sobel do you think that there's uh, any particular community that exists in New York City where uh, artists young artists can uh, afford to have a space to run or feature do you have, I mean do you do you have a feeling like which areas and for me I, I when I walk through the Lower East Side right now there's tons of galleries that I I notice on Orchard Street and Henry Street um, so that's that looks great um, and but uh, I mean my background was Again, I mentioned Tribes Gallery on East 3rd Street, and then I was involved with people in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, in 2000, so before the Whole Foods and Apple store and all that, like, that's what it looks like now. Um, and, well, so, now, I mean, do you think that there's a, do you feel anything, like, as far as a community of uh, young artists having a place to, uh, to do shows and things? Um, I don't know. I mean, it kind of depends. I mean, kind of, but <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, does it kind of feel like there really isn't that like that? There really isn't like a prevalent like or like a of like a notable like presence of like artists like con congregating with each other or like or like or like meeting up with each other and like talking ideas or like painting together or something like that I mean like there, there isn't there isn't like a I, I feel like it just there isn't like a like a like a like a tight-knit community yet mm -hmm. or like I, I mean and also like, I feel like the arts isn't like represented enough like in like culture like I feel like it's just now starting to like be like art like art it's, it's, just, it's just now starting to become more like um, like important and like getting the attention it kind of deserves because like I mean I don't know it takes a lot to like make like an art piece like you know it takes a lot of thinking and a lot of planning and like it's just like I don't know like to make something like it's just it just takes a lot of hard work to like paint or draw something or like 
like you know make like something that that like like has like something creative about it you know right well I guess it's you know you're you know making some kind of meaning out of all this stuff that goes on in the world <clears throat> I mean in meaning I don't you know yeah I've, I've, I mean I I don't know I don't know so, I've always looked at my artwork process of um, mashing up um, subjective experiences with um, with social commentary and and having it become um, symbolic in meaning and open for interpretation so I, I like the free association that people can make with uh, my pieces and um, not be literal and yeah. um, I find that it, it uh, allows viewers of diverse backgrounds to um, to create meaning, their own meanings, and mm. yeah, and if they get my meaning, that's fine. But I feel that the artist should always be aware of the meaning that they're um, exhibiting or putting putting out there. Um, would you, Rick? Um, mm. My wife asked, uh, mentioned a question. Um, I think I mentioned it to you. It's just like she she asked something about like what would you say would be your legacy? And yeah, funny. Is that a funny, funny question? <laughs> yeah. No, it's just hi. I don't know. I mean, it's I too really serious. Don't. No, no, it's that um. I would just want that the work would survive. That's all. <laughs> I mean, because mm -hmm. when I'm gone, it's like. You can set it up, I guess, so you can try to make sure your work... I mean, it's already, you know, I'm in collections, I'm in the Museum of Modern Art, mm -hmm. and that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. It's like, that doesn't guarantee anything, and mm -hmm. I don't have any... Uh, I don't, it's like a combination of being, like, I'm not arrogant about it, or thinking, uh, I don't have a big head about... You know, uh, if anything, I guess there's an insecurity always of, like, your own work, and... You know, you continue, and I, I can't, I don't, I can't, I judge it, I can't tell sometimes if, it, if it's even any good. I mean, it's like, other people tell me, you know, but mm -hmm. it's really, like, I used to study ballet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just going to say something funny, but the teachers would tell me I was good. I mean, I didn't know. They, they knew, though. At Cooper Union, they knew I was good. Jim Dine said, you're the best student here, you're better than all the teachers, and they know it, and, so in other words, other people tell me, but I've never been that sure of like, you know, I know I, I'm not, I know, I don't think I'm mediocre, you know, <clears throat> but, yeah, definitely. and you have to have a certain attitude or, or certain, just to keep going, because in other words, Van Gogh knew he was good. I mean, this idea of like Van Gogh or something was, didn't know if he was any good. Of course he did. I mean, mm. He was a great artist. It was a part of a milieu that, you know, go Canada. He, he knew what he was doing. You know, he wasn't some mindless knucklehead. He actually spoke about it very elegantly and, and uh, beautifully to his letters to his brother. I mean, you could really hear how much he knew about what he was doing. You know, and I'm a bit like that too. I could I could tell and describe a lot about what I'm doing, but at times it's like until I'm asked in a particular way in the right context at the right moment, I'll talk about certain things but other than that it's like I'd rather not say anything sometimes right not that I'm not trying to say anything now but I mean it, it's important to, to you know 
say some things. I mean, Pollock was very specific and said only a few things. Jackson Pollock, you know, but there were, it was very specific. It was like a philosopher who had a small amount of, you know, published ideas, and yet he said it all, you know, in a very simple ways. I mean, Picasso too didn't theorize. He, he didn't say much. Yeah. In his own work. Well, uh, I mean, I noticed that you have held true with your style and your imagery for over these decades, and uh, recently you're coming off from a, sh a huge show in South Korea with Leon Gallery, yeah, yeah. and also in New York City at uh, James Fuentes Gallery on Delancey right. Street. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about uh, that experience and the recognition of you have it. You have you have shown internationally prior, but yeah. uh, South Levy. You know, it, it all comes and goes. There's nothing. I don't feel. It's yeah, it's always a bit. Um, you know, a lot of good things happen, but you, you, it's like uh, surprising still mm -hmm. how I've had a very diverse, weird reaction. Very positive, and then very difficult things mm -hmm. with certain people. Like Cusman wrote a great review, while this other woman at the same time wrote this horrible review for me. So it's. it's I like that controversy. If you have both. You have all negative, it's not good. Mm. You have all positive, it's, like, it's better. But right. in other words, like I've had experiences even recently where you know you could be treated like you're absolutely nothing by certain people, and others are just gushing over your work or something. Or what about so there's a real there's a real variety of responses even now. Some people really get it, some people don't. Some people, that's fine. You know, I don't care. I don't want school with Rick for all you know, either. I'm not trying to. Okay, another question. Five, four, three, two, one. So, we, yeah, we're all, all three of us are painters, and what is it about painting for us? So, Bell, uh, Rick, uh, myself. It's the first thing I was able to express myself with. I play music, I can't write music. If I could write music, I probably would have stuck with music. If I could have danced longer, you know, when I studied ballet, I might have. But it, it, I was my destiny. It was really my destiny, and my father helped me get there. I mean, so did my mother. But. It's. I mean, it is uh, the most primitive art form from the very cave direct, paintings. Very yeah, it's very direct. There's no. There's limited process, right? Not like just hit hit the canvas if you need to or want to. Do you have any thoughts about uh, why painting is about? Um, I guess like I don't know like. Painting is like, it just has like a really interesting like look to it. Like I feel like when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. just like the fact that you painted it and adds like a really like a sculptural aspect or and, and like a visceral as aspect to it like the lighting yeah. like the way like paint catches light and like and like the way paint looks like you know it just it has that like really like i don't know like can, I add, can I add something to what you're saying just to corroborate it sure there's a picasso 
the Museum of, Museum of Modern Art. It's the best painting in the whole freaking museum. It's of a woman doing her hair. It's a later from the 40s, but it's exactly what you're describing. It's not photorealist. It's a cubist like deformed, deformed. I mean, this is a deformity in terms of classical depiction. It's distorted, in other words. So, you know, the distorted Picasso, you know, but it's exactly what you're saying. And it's so concrete and real. And this thing is the most amazing painting. I mean, it, I'll show you which one I mean later if you don't know. But it, anyway, I, I, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Picasso has some really interesting paint. I remember seeing like this like one painting Picasso did at um, I think it was like the Metropolitan, and like just like I was like like walking like side to side, and like could like see like the eyes follow me, and I was like, oh. <laughs> like no, he saw. It was like, cool. It was like a really cool. There's something to me very like more than Matisse. You know, Matisse is really great, and everything, but Picasso for that era, you know. Yeah. Um, I just thought of something related, but not to the, not to the subject matter of the piece, but uh, re referencing cancel culture and the Me Too movement. Um, you know, Picasso. Do you think that Picasso will ever be canceled, or has he been in the, in the Museum of Modern Art? Because I've noticed that uh, I believe it's Mademoiselle d'Avignon has. Um, different company and it's exhibit room and um, it's it doesn't I mean well but you have to start then redoing the whole history of you know because those are different those are different epochs different eras different in other words yeah Picasso is thought of as is that what you're saying that like, like he's well, a, a womanizer well, it's just so ridiculous. I mean, it probably let's throw out all the books that somebody we don't like because he was horrible to some woman, you know, or a woman was horrible. I mean, we could go to George Washington or... off the dollar bill, even, and yeah. No, so no, it's no, just no, like no. this. It's 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 the it world goes way now, overboard. So. I think it goes to the other extreme. The pendulum swings. Right. But it's. And, uh, I don't know, like they did that with Gustin's show because he had Klansman hoods, you know, they canceled the show and then they, now they have all these plaques to describe, to protect everybody. You know, Same with Paul Gauguin, right? Yeah, yeah. They right. had to give a disclaimer um, prior to uh, the exhibition for people to understand what he had done with uh, young To me, it's females. an anathema to what art should, yeah. you know, it's, it's just it's, it's a, censorship. It's a, it's a, yeah, I think that people are debating it are debating this topic it's probably I mean if you want to talk about else. contemporary you know yeah you know okay but to go back and try to superimpose another whole moral code at times on you know no I mean with Picasso I, Pollock was a drunk I don't know what does that mean so what I mean he was a violent drunk I mean everybody's got these issues I mean they're not perfect people. They're great artists, though. You can admire that and still put down some of the bad aspects of their personalities and characters, which, of course, you know, Picasso could have been a shit sermon. But the thing is, I didn't know Picasso. It's a lot of it's hearsay, or not hearsay, but like, you know, he had a certain relationships with women. I mean, so, Sobel, um, during critiques at Cooper Union of your work, does does that uh, dichotomy arise during critiques of uh, aspects of woke culture, even looking at artists, uh, your you know your colleagues' artwork? 
Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what woke culture is. Like, I don't really pay attention to like all those. Like, they're just kind of distractions for people to make money, like just advertisements to make money off of, basically. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess people are just like, I feel like people like they just they just want to do something different. Like, they just you know they want to like make a difference, and, and that's true about any generation or any like you know like just like any person wants to obviously make a difference um i don't know I okay mean, yeah. it's a difficult subject oh yeah right? yeah maybe right? no i'm glad you brought it up because this is what i meant by you know we, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about these things or it's it's a significant moment in our time right now and uh um, I mean, I went, I don't even want to talk about my background at Rutgers, Mason Gross School of the Arts with, uh, like, feminists that uh, I interacted with during my, uh, mm. my, my, my years well, some at of it, Some creating, of it wasn't so Oh, there was a lot positive. of criticism of what I was doing at the time because I was painting a lot of female figures, like Picasso-esque, and then, you know, that was, uh, yeah. that was in the 90s. Okay, so let's do another five, four, three, two, one. So, um, all right, and then we'll just finish it because it's over, it's like forty five yeah. minutes. So thanks again, Noah. Um, so five, four, three, two, one. Uh, Rick, do you have any advice for a young painter? Yeah. Starting out. Uh, yeah. Whatever you. Well, want to say. I would look to your contemporaries. I mean, it's pretty obvious, and then to the past and. Your contemporaries will probably teach you more than anybody. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Actually, the women I was with and everything were my biggest influences. Actually, the other day, uh, Rick Prohl was uh, in the studio section of this space, and he created uh, one of his iconic images of a catapus. <laughs> it's a cat hybrid cat octopus figure that I remember him uh, drawing in. Uh, one of the galleries in Soho that we showed at, it was the Jonathan Shore Gallery back in the day. Um, and, um, and I saw Rick painting wet on wet paint and then I kind of experimented with it a couple days later. So I just watching you, I was like, what, you're painting yeah, wet yeah. paint on wet paint? And I was like, I've never done that. I always wait for it to dry. And it's, an, it's, it's I learned, yeah. I learned from you. I learned from watching oh. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I had a guy who worked for Wolf Kong. I learned from, I, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was his assistant for a year. Mm. Just watch, not that I ever did wolf campaigns, but to watch somebody. Speaking do of it, you speaking know? of assistants, um, I uh, referencing yeah. your time with Jean Michel Basquiat yeah. during his we last show. Friends. We were more friends. Everybody gets it a little bit wrong. But Is there something that you picked up from? Uh, uh John. Yeah, like, yeah. It was the spontaneity. Mm. Spontaneity, and just it flowed. You know when it did. When I was with him, it was a very weird period. I mean, just at the end. But I knew him from the beginning, but then I was around him and in that way at his studio, you know. And did he, he, he drew one thing in front of me, I remember, a rat on a door. Mm -hmm. Remember, he did it, he just walked by and wrote, drew this rat on a door. And uh, now, yeah, it's always inspirational. I think if you can, you know, witness yeah. some, somebody doing something. You know, how they do it. So, Belle, do you have uh, particular artists that um, 
you've collaborated with or um, or any instructors from Cooper Union that have uh, been part of your uh, your process? Um, I guess like Dave Gleason was like a really she was like the head of the art department at Cooper. What was the one? Dave Dave Gleason. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, she was like a really she was like a lot of help when it came to like like trying to like perfect like my art like and I like trying to like make it better like she would like like she would tell me she, she would tell me like straight up if something I made was like art or not art like she was like really truthful about it and like I really appreciate her like honesty and like also she like she was also like really like caring and like really helpful like she would like you know give me paper and like like art materials to use you know when I didn't have like art materials um, but yeah, she was just like always a helpful person. Yeah, it sounds like she was very supportive, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I, I, Jim Dong was one of the most, and Steve Posen too was that way with me. We were kind of his favorite students, there were three of us. Mm. Teo Mishkowski, I don't know what happened to him. Tom Woodruff, who's become well known now, he's uh, just showed it with a show with um, Vito Schnabel. Mm -hmm. I think Tom was, it was me, Tao, somebody else, anyway. Well, uh, as far as some of my professors at Rutgers, uh, I'd say that uh, conceptually, the school is kind of known for its, uh, I guess, conceptual art with the history of um, happenings and fluxus. Uh, yeah. artists. So some of my professors, uh, like Rafael Ortiz, who I think just had a solo show at the El Museo del Barrio, um, and uh, Martha Rossler and uh, for like this uh, video arts and politics class I took and Joan Semmel uh, was my painting teacher and she was very encouraging uh, of, of my process of yeah at the time just hitting the canvas and making things pop so well it's interesting that too it's very important to deal with people that are really negative about what you do it can make you stronger in many ways because you know it's sometimes that they're wrong, you know, like sometimes it can fuck you up, but sometimes it's like, I yeah. know, I know yeah, you're yeah, wrong, yeah. and that's yeah. just your opinion, and I don't care. Yeah, yeah, I think that I was listening to one of Noah's podcasts with Lisa Yuskovich, and she was describing her experience at Yale University, going through with something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 and uh, also, um, one last thing, and we'll wrap it up, five, four. Do you think that Instagram is saturated with artists? Is it, uh, I mean, our ability to uh, to be exposed to artists from all over the world on Instagram, um, it's a different is time. It it's different. I mean, it, well, I mean, I don't know if it's a question, but just. Uh, yeah, no, not, no, just saturated, it just, I don't know mm -hmm. what the downside, it's just like, what do you, I just, maybe the, this is a, a, a relevant moment in history where even when I was in like Williamsburg in like the 2000s and you, you know, I, everyone, I mean, we didn't have this, we didn't have social media. And this like, access? Not, yeah, access yeah, yeah, we all share information. It's, it's, For it's, some it's, people, it's, again, it's perfectly normal. Yeah. It's just when you don't grow up with it or, or you know, for me the 80s was normal and for this people, artists from the 70s, 
They can't even accept anus. I mean, I mean, your generation and that getting. I mean, the submitting slides to galleries to get in, and uh, I, I, I came at the tail end of that in yeah. the nineties, and then it became like send JPEGs and. I guess it was more personal. <clears throat> There's something impersonal now. Yeah. Yeah, there's one way of looking at it, maybe. Right, I, I mean, think some you, of the dealers even. There's just you, a weird, different business mindset. In the '80s, like the, it was a tight knit community, right? Would you say oh like all the God. artists? It was so tight. Like, when, you, when, you, when you used to hold shows at your your studio slash gallery space, the B side gallery, yeah. like, can you recall any anecdotes or uh, in terms from of the B, from curating shows at the B side gallery? Well, again, it was like. We graduated from Cooper into another, I graduated from Cooper into another school, kind of a school of that era, that, you know, yeah, that, that time, and like, it was like, you had to graduate from that, you know, you had to, and there was a lot of camaraderie, but there was a lot of competition, and yeah, believe me, I have nightmare horror stories in, in terms of, in other words, like people, if, if, the more of a, you were more of a target if you were successful, or people knew of you, they all knew about your business, I didn't even, I didn't know anything about half, most of the people that knew everything about me, but they knew nothing. They just knew that, oh, I heard Rick Pearl was doing well, or because you know, I was doing really good. I didn't think to, it's hard to explain. In other words, it's just kind of, um, some people had it easier. It's like they didn't have that kind of, it was very difficult. It was both really great and very, very difficult being in the 80s art scene, in the East Village in particular, that I was part of that. It wasn't all great time or anything. It was actually very difficult, but you had to make the most of it. And I, I have some, uh, you know, pretty bad stories about things that happened. I mean, I won't go into it now. Yeah, but... yeah, I believe you. Well, um, I don't know. I will end it with uh, some some paraphrased quote from Jerry Saltz. I, I guess, you know, he, he, he reiterates it a lot that, you know, only 1% of artists, uh, you know, are monetarily successful and everyone else, I believe, uh, from my understanding of his quote is that, you know, there, there are thousands and thousands of, of different art worlds and to just be part of an art world is, something that uh you know you can do it yourself and create your own art world and have supporters and collectors and uh there are just thousands of different art worlds at different levels and um and you just i think the do-it-yourself mentality uh is something that uh, shouldn't be overlooked yeah i agree <clears throat> all right I think that's it. 54 minutes. That's a lot. I hope we yeah. have some, I hope the audio is good, Noah. And, um, I hope that there's some material that you can use. So let us know. And, uh, thanks again for the opportunity. All right.